John chapter 10 this morning. Having said that I've been here for 10 years, you're probably not shocked that uh, I'm uh, continually amazed at how stupid I can be. Uh, perhaps some of you aren't that amazed at that. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you find that you're, you're just blind to certain things, that you, you don't take advantage of certain opportunities, or you forget to do things, or you don't notice things. And, and I find that uh, as I, I look back in, in my life, I can... Uh, be very much that way, and, and the problem is, so can you, okay? <laughs> because you're just made of the same stuff that I am. See, we're all flesh, and we all have this problem called sin that has taint, tainted us. And some of us, some of us are much more attentive, um, and much more patient, and much kinder. Uh, and then uh, there are days when we can be really kind, and other days where. Uh, I, I don't know, the breakfast was burned or whatever it was, and we're just not, okay? Or we just suddenly have this moment of forgetfulness when we just go to stupid. Um, and, but that's flesh. That's who we are as people before our Heavenly Father, okay? But yet he doesn't say, if you weren't that stupid, I would love you. Or if you weren't that dumb, or if you weren't that weak, or if you weren't so blind to the things of truth, then I would love you. He says to us, I, I know how stupid you are, and I know how blind you are, and I know how weak you can be, and I know how dumb you can be, but I love you nonetheless. And to what extent does he love us? He loves us enough to send his son, the one who is coexistent with him, the one who from all eternity has been there with him, seated at his right hand at the power position, the one who is of the same essence of the Heavenly Father. And he sends him to us to give his life and to shed his blood for us. And that is really what we're looking at today. Why in the world would the Lord extend himself to the likes of us in that fashion and to that degree? So if you're able, would you stand with me as we begin to read into the 10th chapter of John, and I will read the first 21 verses. Heavenly Father, come upon us today that we might be mindful of your word, that our eyes would be open to these things, that we would begin to understand this depth of love and care that you have for us as demonstrated in these words and as in the life of Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Chapter 10 of John. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And a stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. 
Jesus therefore said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. There arose a division again among the Jews because of these words, and many of them were saying, He has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, These are not the sayings of one demon-possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Well, we in our humanness, we tend to wander. Isn't there a hymn about that? Lord, I wander. I'm I'm suddenly blanking. Somebody sing it for me. I wander as I wander. Pardon? I wander as I wander. Okay? We tend to wander often to what is easiest what is pragmatic. We tend to wander towards the path of uh, least resistance. And now we, and I'm speaking in broader strokes of humanity here, tend to like those who promise us lots of things but don't demand much from us. Okay, We prefer the, the, the things in our modern culture of sound bites rather than, than the, the, the real depth and meat of things so that we can wrestle with them. We like things that are easy. We like the axe to fall on somebody else. I don't want to have to bear that burden. Let it fall to somebody else. Now, I'm painting, as I said, pretty broadly here and making everybody appear to be rather weak and, and uh, easily led astray, and we'd rather hear those things that we like. And Paul warns Timothy uh, in, in his letter, he says, Now be on, on guard because there will be a time where men will not want to hear the truth. They will want to hear the things that, as Paul says, tickle their ears, things that are easy for them, things that sound good, things that appear to be good, not the deeper and more difficult things that they need to wrestle with to understand these wonderful mercies of Christ. I say these things because I want us to understand why the Lord, in his perfect wisdom, created sheep. I think, and, and I'm reading in to, to scripture here, I think he saw man and knew what he was going to do from all eternity and said, you know what, I'm going to make a perfect illustration of humanity. I'm going to create a sheep. Okay? I don't think that the writers of the New Testament and Old Testament looked and said, you know, there's a sheep. That, how wonderful of God to make something that we can illustrate ourselves off of. I think that God made sheep 
so that we could see that, so that we could see an illustration of how weak we were and how uh, dumb we can be and how blind we can be to the things of truth that all we have to do is look at how sheep live. And we'll look more at that in just a moment. Now, we have read in, in together and previously studied the 23rd Psalm, and we used a book by Philip Keller, A, a Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And since none of us, I believe, have been raised in a shepherding culture, we have very little understanding of the intricacies of what it takes to be a shepherd. Um, now, if, if I gave a synopsis of, of the message this morning, it would be that sheep are weak, sheep are scared, sheep are dumb. But the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He will protect them when there is danger. The shepherd and the sheep are perfect illustrations of who we are and the fact that Christ has laid down his life for us. We who were still in our sin, that is when he died for us. Now, considering the way that a shepherd works and the way that the Lord works, he will protect us when we're in danger. He'll find us when we were lost. He'll lessen some of those consequences that we face because of our own stupidity. Just like a shepherd goes and... and pulls an animal out of the jaws of the lion and, and saves its life. Sometimes, you know, the sheep went there by itself. The shepherd had to go and retrieve it. The Lord will not always protect us from our dumb mistakes. The Lord will not always protect us when we are stupid or when we are weak or when we are blind to the truth. Okay, so we can't say, well, I can go and live however I want, and because I belong to the Lord, he'll protect me even though I'm stupid. No, sometimes he lets us bear those burdens and those consequences. And there are plenty of instances in, in all of our lives where we can say, you know, I was really stupid there, and the Lord let me bear those consequences. Now, I, I don't know, perhaps in your younger days, um, uh, maybe, um, um, and, and girls would never do this, so I'll just pick on, on the guys. You were out one night, and you did something stupid, and you happened to do it, and there was a police car right behind you, and they pulled you over, and they took you to jail, and they called your parents, and your dad said, oh, I'll be there in the morning, okay? Now, now that's a lesson to be learned. Bear a little bit of the burden of your consequences, okay? Spend a night in, in the tank, and I'll come down and get you in the morning, and perhaps you'll have a different view of your sin by then. Well, sometimes the Lord allows us to do those things. He says, yes, I'm going to protect you, but I'm going to let you bear the consequences of your decisions and your actions. And we see that in, in the shepherd. Uh, now, I, I, when I talk about this, I always point to that window. Now, I know that means most of you have to turn around like this and see, but Jesus carries the sheep. And the reason that Jesus carries the sheep usually is because that little lamb has been wayward time and time again. So the shepherd goes and breaks the leg of the lamb, sets it, and then carries it until that lamb's leg is healed. That lamb will never wander away from the shepherd again. The shepherd has let the lamb feel the consequences of its actions, and it has cared for it and healed it and carried it along, and now that lamb will follow that shepherd anywhere. Those are some of the principles of shepherding. Now, why does God use these particular analogy, uh, this particular analogy of a shepherd? Well, a shepherd was such a part of the Judean culture. They were everywhere. In fact, the landscape and the geography of that area of the world lends itself not to farming for the most part, but for shepherding, but for shepherding. So it was not uncommon 
uh, just to have a shepherd within your family, uh, just to see them throughout the hills on a regular basis. And as we'll see in every, almost every town, there was this very large sheep pen or sheep fold in which the sheep came at night. Now, the life of a shepherd is not an easy thing, especially in the first century. In that part of the world, there is very little grass, so they had to consistently and, and constantly move the sheep from one place to another that they might find the pastures upon which they could feed and be nourished. Uh, there are no protecting uh, walls out in the pasture, and it's a very hilly and rocky area, and it's not uncommon for sheep just to fall off the edge into a little ravine, and the shepherd would have to leave the flock and go after the one that has been lost. That is a clear image throughout Scripture a clear image in real life for the life of a shepherd. The shepherd had to protect the sheep. It's not as if the shepherd could just go up and, and um, okay, y'all go out and hang out in that field, and I'm going to sit over here and nap. He couldn't do that because there were constant dangers. There were people who were out looking for sheep to steal. So the shepherd would have to protect the sheep from the thieves and the robbers. There were animals always out looking for a meal. He had to fight those animals off. Remember, David was a shepherd, and that's where he honed his skills with the sling, fighting off the wolf and the bear and the lion, so that when he stood before Goliath, it was not a big stretch for him to use his sling to bring down the enemies of Israel. In the Old Testament, we see all of these images of our Heavenly Father as a shepherd, especially in the Psalms. You lead your people like a flock. We, the people, the sheep of your pasture, we give thanks to you forever. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Thou, thou leadest us like a flock. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. So it's very clear that in the Old Testament, our Heavenly Father was a shepherd to Israel. And that analogy is carried over into the New Testament. As we see time and time again, Jesus calls himself the shepherd of the flock. The great shepherd who lays down his life, he risks his life to save the lost sheep, Matthew 18. He's the shepherd who has pity on the people because they are sheep, like having no shepherd, Matthew chapter 9. He is the shepherd who called his disciples a little flock in Luke chapter 12. When he, the shepherd, was smitten, he says in Mark 14, when the shepherd was smitten, the sheep are scattered. Peter says he is the shepherd of our souls. The writer of Hebrews says he is the great shepherd of the sheep. Again and again we see this image. Now we think in our culture, well, that's a, a quaint image. But it was an image that was alive in the first century because everybody understood what it meant to shepherd the sheep, to shepherd the sheep. Now to interpret John chapter 10, go back to the first verse, we really have to begin at the end of John chapter 9 which we covered last week. And you'll see, I'll begin in verse 41 of chapter 9. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin, but since you say we see, your sin remains. Truly I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. There is almost a, an uninterrupted flow between the two chapters. Now, we don't know if it was chronologically, pretty sure it's chronologically. We don't know if Jesus finished his words there in verse 41 and then immediately carried on into the words here in verse 1 or whether there was a break there, but pretty sure he had verse 41 and the words that he said there in his mind as he begins chapter 10. And remember, the chapter divisions are our later edition. Uh, There's something to make it easy for us that it wasn't originally written in that fashion. 
There are no transitional words there. It just seems to flow, that, that nice thought. So he is talking to people who were blind and, and who were really agitated that Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath and gave this guy sight. They had all these kind of doubts about it. And then Jesus goes, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. See, Jesus is talking about the good shepherd himself and, by implication, the Jewish leaders who were the bad shepherds. And we'll see that a little bit later. They were not following through on what they were uh, tasked with by our Heavenly Father. Now, in this chapter, there are two types of sheepfolds that are mentioned by Jesus. The first is that which was found in the countryside. It was nothing more than a circle of rocks with an open area, no fixed door or anything like that. And at night, the the shepherd would lay down in front of that door, uh, in front of that open space as the door. And that's verse 7. Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now we'll get to that one in a moment. The other type of the sheepfold is much more substantial. It's the kind that is found in towns and has a roof and walls and and fixed uh, parameters and everything like that. And the shepherds who would be out in the fields when they wanted to come into town, they would drive their flock into this kind of community sheepfold. And all the shepherds would bring their sheep into this large area, and they would lock the door, and they would go home, and the sheep would be under the care of a a porter or a, uh, a hired hand. And it would be their job to watch the sheep at night while the shepherds all went home to their own places. In the morning, the shepherd would get up. He would come to the gate of the sheepfold, and he would open the gate, and he would call out the names of his sheep. And they would come to him. Now, the sheep that were not his, they would not come to him. In fact, they would move away from him. So if I called out, if I came to the door and will say, uh, I, I called out the names of, of my sheep, uh, uh, Grace and Abby, Zidi, that's my dog, they would all come to me, okay, because they, I knew their name. And, and you think, how many of you who, who ever worked on a farm named your animals? Usually you don't name them if you're going to eat them. Okay, that, that's, you know, who are we eating tonight, hon? Well, you know, you don't want to do that. But the shepherd named each animal because he didn't typically eat them. He used them to produce the wool and shear them. But he named them. Why? Why do you name things? Because you love them. Okay? You want to give them, in a sense, a, 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 a tie and a personality to them. You love them, so you name them. You, think of, you spend a lot of time figuring out the right name. Okay? Did you just name your kids off the top of your head? Oh, Or did you listen to the wisdom of your spouse? Usually, you know, my kids would come up with terrible names if it was up to me, okay? And I was just dying to have a boy so I could name him this one name. And uh, I think the Lord knew that, so he gave us all girls, okay? So so there are no Traherne Jenkinses, okay? Um, You can ask me about that later. Mm -hmm. But the shepherd would stand at the gate. His sheep would come to him. The rest would not. They wouldn't move. In fact, they'd back up. All his sheep would come. He would lead them out into the pasture, and there they would feed again for the day. But they were left in the care of a hired hand at night. Keep that in your mind. Now, I'm just going to highlight a few things for us. Let's go to verse 3. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name and leads them out. 
Okay? So Jesus knows his sheep. Jesus knows his sheep. He calls them by name. Flip over and look at the beginning of verse 29. My Father who has given them to me. The Father in heaven has given his Son sheep. They know him because he calls them by name. Perhaps you can remember the day upon which you profess faith and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is the day that he called you by name. Okay? I remember it very clearly. It wasn't as if I heard him say, Randy, Randy, I want you. Today is the day. But it was for all intents and purposes. He had called me in that fashion. He called me personally. We see this throughout Scripture. Matthew, Luke, John. Uh, John chapter 11. He stands before the tomb and he says, what? You who are dead in there, come out. No, he says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes out. Again and again, we see in Scripture that he calls people by name. When he calls his disciples, he just doesn't say, hey, you, fishermen, come with me. He says, Peter, come with me. Andrew, I knew you. Come with me. Okay, Bartholomew, come with me. He calls everybody by name. It is the personal aspect. He knows us by name. And not only does he know us by name, he knows us. Flip over to Romans chapter 5 for just a moment. He knows us. If you're in a dating relationship, remember at the beginning, you take all that time to get ready. You make sure that, you know, there's no, uh, nothing is out of place. Your hair is perfect and, and you've brushed your teeth and your clothes are all perfect and everything uh, because you're just in that get-to-know phase. And then uh, you've been married 20 years. Well, you still want to look good, but uh, it's not all that important, okay? Did you shave today? No, I'll be all right, all that kind of stuff. This, this is, in a sense... When Jesus knows us, warts and all, warts and all, okay, and he still loves us. If you've been married for a long period of time, you pretty much know all the faults of your spouse, but you love them nonetheless. You love them nonetheless. Romans chapter 5, verse chapter 6, or chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Pretty much everybody knows that passage. It's while we were sinners that Christ died for us, not when we got cleaned up. Okay? He doesn't wait until we're perfect before he loves us, before he extends his love for us, before Christ made that sacrifice for us. He knows everything about us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our failures. He knows when we are tempted. He knows our sins. He knows when we neglect the good. He knows when we pursue the evil. All about us is open to the eyes of the Good Shepherd. Yet he loves us and calls us by name. Jesus comes to the door of the sheepfold and he says, Randy, come with me. And when he calls, you have to go. It's not as if you would say, oh, no, Jesus, Son of God, perfect Savior, righteous one, my only means of getting rid of this sin, my only means of avoiding an eternity of punishment. I really don't want that. No, when he calls and extends his grace, it's because he has changed your heart and you belong to him and you go. 
and you go. So first, Jesus knows his sheep. Secondly, Jesus leads his sheep out. Again, verse 3. To him, to, the, to him the doorkeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He leads them into the green pastures. He leads them to truth. He leads us out of darkness. Now, we in the West, if you look at shepherds, in the West, they drive the sheep. Okay? I have a border collie. He was bred to herd. And they get behind and they drive the sheep in a certain direction. In the East, especially in Israel, they lead the sheep. It's a very important distinction here. In the West, we drive the sheep. In the East, they lead the sheep. The shepherd stands at the gate. He calls them by name. And he starts to walk. And they follow him. Why do they follow him? Because they belong to him. Because he loves them. Because he knows them by name. He knows all about them. John Stott, who was an Anglican theologian, tells a story of he took a trip to uh, Israel. And they're on the bus, and, and, and when you go to Israel, you, you take these bus tours from one place to another. And, and the guide is telling them about the particulars of shepherding and how in that portion of the world they lead the sheep. And John Stott looks out the window, and there is a guy with a stick, and he's driving the sheep. He's standing behind the sheep, just beating them and driving them. And he puts up his hand and says, hey, what about that? That's not what you said. And the guide looks out the window, and he tells the bus driver to stop. So he can't, can't figure it out. So he gets off the bus and he goes over and he, he talks to the guy. And then he comes back on the bus with, and Stott says with this big grin on his face. And he says, that's not the shepherd, that's the butcher. Okay? Not the shepherd, the butcher. Jesus knows our name. He knows his sheep, know his voice. And they follow him. They follow him. Go down to verse 7. Truly, I truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, or the gate, or the gate of the sheep. The image of Jesus as the gate refers back to that other type of sheepfold that they use out in the field, just made of rocks. Perhaps there were thorns on the top so nobody could crawl in, but there was an open door there, or an open area, and at night the shepherd would lay there at the door. Now, we might think that was more for protection, so that no wild animals could get in or anything like that. But the issue there is much more about entering, about passing through. Not so much as a barrier for protection, but a door of passage. Now, why is it so important that we understand Jesus as a passage? He does say in John chapter 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So there are three important things, benefits, about entering through Christ. First, you will be saved. It's a definitive. You will be saved. Salvation has a past, a present, and a future aspect. So by entering through Christ, we escape the penalty of our sin. That's called justification. Okay? We also enter a life of increasing godliness and holiness. That is called sanctification. And then we look forward to the day of Christ's return when we will be perfected. That is called glorification. So all of those things are tied up in entering through Christ, the only means of salvation. In our world that is so concerned about diversity and, and pluralism, there is no pluralism in Christianity. The only pluralism you find is the Trinity. 
the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's, but there's no other way of getting to the Father except through Christ. Now, why didn't God make it another way? Why didn't he say, well, here are all these options for you to choose from? Because we don't choose. It's because God says this is the means of salvation. And he illustrates that in the life of a shepherd, in the life of sheep. And he calls Christ the great shepherd. So the first benefit is that you will be saved. The second benefit is that anyone who enters will go in and will go out. Well, what's the big thing about going in and out? Well, imagine you live in a city that is walled and has a gate. It's walled for protection. Okay? When the gate is open, that means your kingdom is secure. You can go in and you can go out. You can go out to the fields, take your sheep out. But if there is an impending danger, they seal up the city and you cannot go in and out. So that is the image here. It is secure. It is safe. You can go in and out. That's the image that Christ is presenting here. And then the third is that you will find satisfaction. Look at verse 9. I am the door. Anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out, and he shall find pasture. It was very difficult to find good pasture. You had to keep moving the, sh- the flock. So when the responsibility of the shepherd is to feed the sheep, what does Christ say to Peter? Feed my sheep. He's very concerned that his sheep would have all that they need. In the same sense that a shepherd is responsible for that flocks going to the right pasture, Jesus says it is important for us to find food and to be fed as well. Just a couple more things. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life. Verse 15, even as the Father knows me, I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. Verse 18, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. Remember, who killed Jesus? Nobody. He laid down his life. Now, did he die on the cross? Yes. Do you remember what he said? It is finished. And when they came to him to break his legs, like they did the thieves, what did they find? He had already given up his life. They didn't take it from him. He gave it up. He gave it up. This is the image here. I lay down my life. It's almost as if if, if, if the image that, that I took off my jacket, okay, and I laid it down over here. We see the same image here in about two chapters at the Last Supper. At, the, at, at that appropriate time, Jesus gets up and he does what? Takes off his clothes and he takes on the form of a servant as he washes the feet of his disciples. Okay, this is the image here. I lay down my life. I, I put aside all of those things that, that, that make up the power and the authority of the Son of God. And I lay them down so that I might be a servant for you. So that I might care for you. So that I might love you in this fashion. And he loves all those whom the Father has given to him. He lays down his life for them, for those he has received from the Father. Now, just as an aside, I'm going to be theological here. This is basically called the covenant of redemption. The covenant of redemption. That is not something like the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Noah, 
the covenant with David or, or Moses, those things are, very, are taught very explicitly in Scripture. The covenant of redemption is taught rather implicitly in Scripture. And we, we talk about it as that covenant which was made from all, all time between the Father and the Son. That at the appropriate time, the Father would send the Son and he would redeem those who belong to him. So in the sense, from all time, there, there is no beginning to the Father and the Son and the Spirit. They've always been here. So, so sometime way back then, whenever that was, there was a covenant made between the Father and the Son called the covenant of redemption. That Christ would give his life for those whom the Father would give to him. He would lay it down. He would do the atoning work of his death on the cross. And we who are his sheep, who hear his voice, would respond and follow him. So what Jesus does on the cross had its beginnings long before we were ever created. Long before there was a fall into sin. That had been planned for all eternity. That Christ would give his life in that fashion. Laying it aside. Now all of this in chapter 10. One more passage, sorry. One more passage. Ezekiel 34. Turn there. All of this has its roots in this passage in Ezekiel 34. And you think, wow. You go all the way back to this prophet and all the wild things that, he's, that we find in Ezekiel, and, and you're going to say, this, this has its roots here. It does. Because Ezekiel is chastising the false shepherds who were given care of the people and who failed miserably. And Jesus is equating, you know, those who come and, and who are only hired hands, who are supposed to protect the sheep, who run off as soon as a wolf comes. He's equating the Jewish leaders with them. And he is saying, but I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you, not have, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. And they were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. And my flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth. And there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. My shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I shall demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I shall deliver my flock from their mouth that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them. See, chapter 10 is simply this fulfillment 
of these words in Ezekiel. I myself shall search for them and seek them. And my sheep hear my voice when I call their name and they come to me. Have you heard the voice of Christ? I mean, has he called your name? If, if you're sitting there today and you're thinking, I- I've never heard Christ call my name. It's not audible. It's not as if he said, Randy, in my ear. There was this unmistakable draw in my heart. I could not deny the call of Christ to come and receive him as Lord and Savior. He loves us in the sense that he's willing to lay down his life for us. So have you heard his call? Have you followed him? Let's pray. Lord, a a great passage in which your love for us and our stupidness and our weakness is so well illustrated. We're like sheep. But when you call our name, when we hear your voice and you say to us personally and individually, come to me, we follow Lord, I would pray today that everyone here would hear your voice saying to them their name. Come and believe upon me today and be saved. That there would be no denying. It's not an emotional thing, although it may be very emotional. It is not simply an intellectual thing, but we are not without logic and truth here. It is a Holy Spirit thing. It is a thing that we cannot deny because it comes straight from you. Speak to our hearts today, Lord. Call us by name that we may follow you wherever you lead us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.